You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Hi. Nice to chat with you. Yep. Looking forward to uh, the discussion today because you've got some pretty interesting topics. Yes. We have a lot of interesting stuff to discuss, but I think we would be remiss, Paul, if we did not start our discussion this week on the driving law story that has gripped the nation. Which is? Christia Freeland, Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Finance, Justin Trudeau's probable BFF, got a speeding ticket. Yes. And <laughs> so, so stupid. I mean, it's hilarious. Um, she got a ticket and it was a, sounds like a big ticket and she got it in Alberta. Um, I yeah. guess everybody knows those facts already. Um, and of course the, um, the, the, the conservatives and the, um, um, convoy people are trying to, uh, uh, make it into a big thing. Yep. Yep. They are. Um, but we should talk about it. We should talk about the speeding ticket. Um, because the first thing I think we should talk about the fact is she's never owned a car. She's been driving since she was 16 in Alberta. Okay. And she has never, ever owned a car. And okay. Why is that? Because she didn't want one? Well, no, it's because she's been like a uh, international journalist. She was a an international a, student. A lead-footed lady who yeah. knows she can't control her urge to speed. Well, that makes sense, too. I mean... <laughs> You know, but point is that she's driven in locations all around the world. Um, and uh, I guess always in rental cars, borrowed cars, government cars, cars that belong to the various different businesses, organizations, news organizations, news organizations, news organizations. Uh, for which she has worked. And um, here she is in uh, what I think was a rental car coming back from a work thing. And uh, of course, she's uh, caught in Alberta. Where they're very zealous about speeding. However, uh, all Albertans generally do speed. It's not like going to Manitoba where everybody drives 10 kilometers an hour under the speed limit. In um, in Alberta, everybody would like to speed except that they uh, they don't do it when the police are around. Well. So, but what does it say? What does it spell? I, I think it's interesting, like the extreme amount of focus that's being given to the ticket like why is it why is it such a big deal to people who are who are not well if there was a threat to the public like if it was one of those circumstances if it was she was speeding through a town or something like that it would be different i guess i mean it sounds like it was just way out on the highway somewhere yeah um and um and she's clipping right along and has probably has a plane to meet she's working <laughs> she's working for the people of canada um out doing her job and uh yeah she uh you know hardly the hardly uh a crime of moral what do they call it turpitude moral turpitude but there's also controversy that is stemmed from it not to do with like the actual act of speeding but the controversy around her position on climate change because the fact that she's never owned a car has been something that she's kind of emphasized when talking about climate change and protecting the planet and you know i don't own a car 
And then it came out that, you know, when she's in Toronto, she has a driver, which, like, fair enough. She's the deputy prime minister. So, of course, she has a driver. Oh, she has a driver. Yeah. Like, she, somebody's got a protector. She's not going to, like, tool around on one of those street rental scooters or sure. something. I mean, those convoy and conservative people are violent people. Yeah. Yeah. And there's crazy people that aren't convoy people, too. Um, so, yeah. Like, I don't take any issue with that. But, of course, that was a big thing because the people tried to make it out as though she was lying. And now she's in this rental car. She's driving. She's speeding. And a bunch of people are interviewing, like, like gas scientists and fuel ec- economists, uh, not, like, economists, like, money economists, but, like, fuel-saving people, engineers, all to get gotcha points that if you speed, you use more fuel and it's more carbon emissions. Well, they could also monitor her thermostat at home to see whether or not she turns it above uh, well, 20 degrees or he puts know? his sweater on. I mean, that she didn't even rent a like rent electric, electric car. car. Yeah, or a hybrid car or something. Yeah, exactly. No, I know. So it's, uh, I, it's a little bit silly, but. If she missed her flight, would the carbon footprint have been worse? I think these are people who are just desperate to try and uh, find herself. Don't be silly. But I, I, I think the the bigger question is this um, this view that we've got that speeding excessively, and I don't know that it wasn't excessive. I think it was twenty kilometers an hour or something over, but it was a three hundred and seventy dollar ticket. At least so that's what I saw. Um, well, I don't know if that's truthful, right? These are you know mm-hmm. the organizations that are are uh, putting this news out are not exactly known to be reliable. Yeah. And their characterization of it is deeply skewed. Um, But um, one way or another, uh, you know, we have this discussion in this country where we've come to the conclusion that in circumstances where the speeding can be a threat to the public, speeding can be dangerous driving. Yes. And so that's the other talking point that people are are seizing upon which is that the speeding that is uh that took place in this case is near criminal driving behavior yeah that's the one quote i saw so uh if that's the case then uh, a significant um, portion of the canadian population uh deserves to be um to be condemned for their near criminal speeding uh i i'm certainly you know admit i'm guilty of that at some point in my life been a mm-hmm. while but um, and I, I do recall, you know, there's been times that I was trying to catch a ferry or trying to do something that I was, I have exceeded the speed limit significantly, and I'm glad I wasn't caught. All right. Now, another story that's making a lot of headlines this week is the decision in a case involving a police officer, um, who was charged after an arrest of an indigenous man in 2016 took a long time to bring the case to trial he was charged with obstruction assault assault with a weapon and after all this time finally found not guilty now this case doesn't sound like it arose out of a a driving incident but it did in fact so what happened so the facts as outlined by the judge were that in the early morning hours of February 18th, 2016, uh, members of the Prince George RCMP were doing surveillance. 
on a Dodge Ram 1500. Oh, a Dodge Ram under surveillance? A Dodge Ram. You know what happens if you have a Dodge Ram? You get pulled over for impaired driving. (laughs) Um, And they thought that this was a stolen vehicle. So Constable Grafton, the accused police officer, gets called out. He's a dog handler at the time. He gets called out to assist with the takedown of the occupants of the vehicle. So he heads to uh, an area in Prince George known as the VLA, which I guess is like a high crime area. They locate the truck in an alley in that area of um, Prince George. The rough part of Prince George. And the police try to box in the vehicle. So essentially setting up vehicles blocking the exits of all of this alley. Okay. So they're concerned that this vehicle is going to take off. Yes. They don't want the occupants to flee. 6.30 a.m., they drive into the alley from the entrances, having boxed everything in. They then head in. Constable Grafton, first on scene. He gets out of his police vehicle, gets his police services dog, goes to the side of the uh, the truck, opens the door, and then, using the dog, gets the driver, Mr. Obishan, out of the vehicle. And he's taken to the ground in the course of this interaction. It's 52 seconds long. The dog bites him. Um, and then Constable Grafton strikes him seven times, including once with his knee. And eventually uh, the dog releases him. He's arrested, handcuffed, and uh, the passenger is also arrested. So it sounds like some actual serious violence there. Yeah. It sounds like it. And there is a video on Global's website, um, a story by Christian Robinson on um, what happened in the case and and with a number of quotes from the lawyer talking about how long it took to get it to trial and how unfair that's been. Um, But there's an actual video of the takedown. And the video was a fundamental part of the trial because in the trial, um, there were a significant number of inconsistencies between the information written by the officer in his dog handling report Uh and the information that was actually depicted in the video essentially finding that uh the, the the argument was that he was obstructing justice by willfully putting false statements in his dog handler report because of how significant the differences were between the dog report and what had actually happened okay so basically he's charged with obstruction of justice because the the view is that he is lying or misleading about what took place to minimize the violence that he perpetrated on this guy yes. rather than an assault he's charged with he was charged with assault was he charged with assault as well yeah. okay but yeah. but the uh, obstruction for uh, basically a bad police report now you got to remember if you're not in BC we don't have body cams right uh, there's other Those parts of the happen to be Calgary. They have uh, they have body cams. It just happens to have been this has been was caught on video. Yeah, and uh, the the judge in acquitting Constable Grafton of both charges, all charges, okay. acquittal on everything. Um, talks about the video. Um, the, the video uh, capturing the incident uh, shows details, including snowflakes, the tire movement, you can see the officer's breath and the exhaust from the vehicles, but the video is also shot from a distance in black and white and there's no audio. Yeah. So there's also um, pixelation 
that happened in the video because it was they tried to enlarge it and that didn't really work. Um, but uh, the judge agreed with the Crown's characterization of the video's overall utility, which was that while the video might not be able to discern subtle muscle movements while Constable Grafton grapples with Aubergine on the ground, this case does not involve that. It involves gross movements of vehicles, humans, and dogs. Yeah. And so this is the basis of this. The Crown essentially saying, he made it all up, he lied in his report, the video contradicts him, you can see that the movements were not as significant as he says that they were, this wasn't a, a situation where this use of force was justified, and he knew it, and so he he lied about it. Um, and that is essentially the basis of the charge. Very strange to see an obstruction charge against a police officer. This is a big problem, though, that we see, and um, it's a problem that we've seen and we've talked about many times that NBC, um, as a result of the IRP scheme, as a result of our immediate roadside prohibition scheme, police officers are not accustomed to testifying in court. They're, they're, are, uh, become accustomed to writing misleading reports because they are rubber stamped by the superintendent of motor vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, they are not cross-examined. And so, you know, they will spin it. Mm -hmm. And so this is just another example of a police officer um, not being accurate in his description of what takes place. And I say because he's learned the wrong lessons as a result of the IRP scheme, and so have his colleagues and his supervisors, because they've all been uh, living with this scheme since 2010. So the court ultimately comes to the conclusion that he's to be acquitted. And the court focuses in part on the issue of motive, that there was no evidence of motive. There was also no evidence of an absence of motive, that it's a neutral factor, but it is still something that, that was relevant. Portions of the video didn't match the report. Much of the uh, analysis um, that the court had to do related to the contradictions between the report and the video. Um, for example, paragraph 199, the court says the police uh, dog service vehicle pulled directly in behind the stolen truck, which now had its reverse lights on. That's what Constable Grafton said. The video doesn't show that. And the judge is like, I think he's just incorrect. The revving of the engine that they were, you know, thinking was a sign that they were going to leave. Uh, he says that uh, he couldn't determine whether or not the engine revved because no audio. Constable Grafton also wrote in his report that he approached the driver's side of the vehicle, that the truck moved forward and rammed into a police vehicle, that he was able to open the driver's door, yell at the driver that he was under arrest, and to tell him to stop trying to ram the police vehicle. Getting him away from the controls of the stolen vehicle was paramount, and the Crown characterized that as a gross misstatement of events. Uh, meanwhile, the defense said, oh, this is just a minor sequencing error. And the judge says, it's neither. It is material, um, but it's also clear that the truck did move forward and strike the police vehicle. It's not like an event that didn't happen at all. And so it's not a categorically false statement. It might be like a, like an over-exaggeration, but it wasn't categorically false. This is a very fair reading um, of evidence, in my view, because this is one of the things that we see. Most people approach things in good faith. Um, and most police officers are trying to do their job in good faith and trying to describe things in good faith 
And 15 minutes after it happens, even your little brain is reconstructing it. And when you have to write it out, you, you're not going to, you know, there's the natural tendency to try and spin it in your favor, but there's also, you know, trying to take into account all the nuances of the situation that you were trying to deal with. And in addition, um, it was a, the courts have already determined this number of cases that have said in high risk, stressful, traumatic events, memory distortion can occur. So if something is high risk, stressful or traumatic and somebody's recollection of the events doesn't match something else, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're lying or they're concocting. It could just mean that they're traumatized. Kind of brings me back to the sense that I get all the time that without video or, or audio recording, I, I'm so skeptical of memory, my own memory included in some things, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, one knows that as you run it through your head, as you try and understand the sequence of events, you try and piece things together. And then when you try and describe it, you miss some things, you, you fail to explain the nuances. Next thing you know, like I often think poor police officers and poor people testifying in court. Uh, miss so many important things. And, you know, we have these tricks as lawyers and you often say that uh, cross-examination is the uh, is the fine method to get to the truth. And I don't think it does get to the truth. And I think it's a huge failure. Sometimes, of our... baby, it absolutely the truth. I think it's a huge failure of our justice system. And this is the justice system we've got. And I just think it's it's far past needing to be fundamentally changed because this happens. Okay. Don't assume that a police officer is acting in bad faith. I get it. You know, people, we all look at, at uh, behavior that is newsworthy from the police from time to time and it looks awful. Uh, but most police officers, I'll tell you, are trying their best to do their best and not put themselves in this situation. I, I, I appreciate this read of the evidence here. Well, Paul... Speaking of things that you appreciate, it's now time for the Ridiculous, Ridiculous Driver of the Week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination, the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. Awesome. Who is it this week? What is it this it's week? a group of people this week. A group of people who are not the fun type of ridiculous, but the really fucking annoying type of ridiculous. Okay. And this is the group of people who drove up to the blockades. Yes. In the wildfire evacuation zones. Yes. Who did not live at the community. We're yes. not from there. Yes. And demanded that the illegal blockade be taken down. Because of their freedoms. Their freedoms. Their freedoms. They feel that the blockade to protect the area where the forest uh, fires are and the uh, forestry workers, the firefighters are trying to protect that area and the RCMP are trying to protect the houses from looters yeah. um, that they should be entitled to drive in there. And this is just ridiculous. I'm sorry, you freedom people, you've gone too far. And um, the, you know, when you, when you start behaving like that, you put people's lives at risk. Um, you put people's property at risk because, uh, as Bowen Ma said, um, you know, we can't send in water bombers when there's a possibility of people being on the ground. And, you know, maybe when you go in there, you know, 
trying to be a hero, you might um, save your friend's house. And it might mean that five other houses burned because of your behavior. And it's very, very upsetting to see this. So ultimately, in the end, nothing happened to these people. Nothing happened to them. They were just basically, they vented their frustrations and then turned around and went home. Well, the corporal from the RCMP who was on the radio talking about it sounded really like very balanced and, and decent. Said, look, you know, we had a discussion with them. There were no arrests. Uh, ultimately, they turned around and left. Yeah. Um, I saw on uh, one of the news reports that was on TikTok, some guy saying, well, I'm a class one driver and a mechanic, you know. Uh, you know, it's like, I know what I'm doing. Well, you're not a firefighter. And how do we know that you're not a class one mechanic who's going to go in there and and rob somebody? <laughs> like, yeah. and, and, like, I don't care. <laughs> you're not you're not working for the government. You're not. Go volunteer. If you really want to help, go volunteer. You may not save your friend's house, but you might save somebody else's house. And it might save some time for the uh, the firefighters who are there to save your friend's house. And it really comes down to an issue in my mind of people not accepting or understanding that they're part of a community and they're only thinking about themselves. Yep. And I don't know how this new selfishnessism got into it's our society. Not. Yeah. Is that a word? Selfishnessism. Did you make that word up? Like Selfishness. Yeah. Oh, selfishnessism. Selfishness. Selfishness. Is it selfishnessism? Selfishness. Whatever. I prefer to. I'm talking about it as a. More of a, a societal thing. Oh, okay. Like a, that, like a belief system in selfishness. Yes. Um, that it's become a, a, a societal phenomena. Well, I, uh, know, I, the zeitgeist I, I is... Scribe to a little bit of like the selfish belief system, you know, like looking after my needs. No, I don't. I don't look after my needs before I look after other people. I put myself last so much. I know, but you, well, no, you also take care of yourself and you spend money on yourself and that's a yeah, fine, you, a you earn it. No, but you earn it. You work hard for it. But the, uh, the, um, you're not really part of that, no. but you are, you have a different view than I do. I, I'm more societal viewed, I think. Um, maybe it's just the culture that I grew up with. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a different era and I, I had a really indoctrinated, you know, view of our obligation to our society that I don't think generations that have come after me necessarily have. And that could be part of it, you know, could be a generational issue. Um, I would say the baby boomers for us when I was a kid were a disappointment and we looked at them and it was a reaction to them, uh, that we wanted to, uh, to be, you know, more community minded. And you can see it in the way cities have been designed in the years since by the, uh, Gen Xers. Um, and many other sort of community things that have, have, uh, that come to mind, uh, you know, I could give you a list of them, but the, the design of cities I think is significant and the cycling movement and things like that, um, have been really community minded and maybe the generation after that is a reaction to it. So it was all younger people by the looks of it, um, basically under the age of, uh, of, um, probably 40 who were at that had that group. And a lot of the people who appeared to be at the uh, convoy protest in uh, Ottawa appeared to be basically between the ages of 20 and 40. So maybe a generational thing. Anyway, <laughs> so those are the ridiculous drivers of the week. Yes, you know, they are. So just because of their stupidity? Because of their stupidity, exactly. Okay. 
Well, they are pretty ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. That's our podcast. That was good. Yeah. If you have a driving law related issue, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 